Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. I am here with my good friend, Fritz Wood. Uh, Fritz is uh, an industry advisor and observer. Uh, he does a ton of personal finance with veterinarians, and uh, I am talking to him about pricing strategy in the veterinary industry. How do veterinary clinics set prices? Uh, are we doing what we can to keep care affordable? What are the benefits and the drawbacks of raising prices? How much elasticity is there in these prices? Meaning how much more competitors take or what are they going to say when we do raise prices? And how do we get the staff on board? And is that an issue or something to be concerned about? Spoiler alert, yes it is. Um, anyway, it is a really good very high level discussion about pricing and medicine. It's not about how you set your prices in your clinic. It's more about what the prices of medicine mean and what the ripple effects are from changing them and from not changing them in an inflationary environment. So anyway, guys, that's what we get into. It is a really good discussion sprawling all across our profession. We talk about corporations coming in and what that means. We talk about um, virtual care and just, just all sorts of stuff. And so anyway, it is really, really interesting conversation. Let's get into it. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Fritz Wood. Thanks for being here, my friend. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, man. Uh, for those who don't know you, you have been a, a CPA, certified uh, financial planner. You are uh, an industry advisor and observer. You work with a lot of veterinarians on personal finance, things like that. You have been a mentor for me uh, throughout my entire career. I have always looked up to you. You've given me some of the best advice that I've gotten in my career. I'm not kidding when I say that. Um, I just, I, I, I love having you here. I love getting a chance to talk with you. I was uh, you write for today's veterinary business uh, as well as a bunch of other outlets and everything. And I always look through and, and check out your uh, your column when it comes in. And there was something that you wrote about recently. You wrote about the upsides and pitfalls of adjusting prices. And and I've been thinking a lot about this. So, so I'm looking at uh, inflationary economy. I'm looking at upward pressure to raise wages in the practice. I look at keeping care affordable for pet owners. I just came out of the Uncharted uh, Veterinary Practice Owner Summit. And I uh, uh, and that was a concern I heard again and again is is affordability of care. Um, my staff can't afford, uh, you know, the care that we provide to to our clients. And that bothers me. And I listen to a lot of those things. And so I wanted to get in with you and just start to get into vet pricing and where the prices come from and, and just start at that level and then just start to play around with uh, with, with what price setting looks like on in our industry. Uh, is that OK to start out with? You bet. And I uh... I appreciate the uh, very kind words, Andy, and I am I am flattered and uh, and honored to be here, and look forward to contributing and hopefully having a little value. and uh, And I and I think this is this 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 uh, topic of professional fees is uh, it's probably always timely and it's probably always germane. You know, let's uh, before we sort of dive into any detail, I found this interesting. You might find this interesting. You know, uh, in preparation for today, I sort of look back. Um, you know, at presentations I had given on on the topic of professional fees, and the most recent one was four and a half years ago. Um, so not recent, uh, and the one yeah. before that was was like six years before that. So I've I've literally talked probably about professional fees twice, maybe in the last decade. Um, so and and then I thought, well, that's kind of odd because I used to talk about it all the time, and so I 
you know, if we yeah. start at the 50,000 foot level, what happened, the accounting and consulting firm KPMG came out with a study commonly called the MAGA study. It came out in 1999. And what, one of the conclusions was that veterinary fees had not even kept up with inflation during the 1970s, the 1980s, and the 1990s. Okay, so it is fair to say that that raised a big flag in the profession. And my observation and and sort of anecdotal observation is that subsequent to that, so so in the 22 years since then or 24 years since then, uh, veterinary fleet veterinary fees have risen pr- uh, at about twice the rate of inflation over that time period. Uh, so inflation had been going in the first two decades of this uh, century at about two percent. Uh, Veterinary fees had increased about 4% or, or, or even more. So veterinarians clearly, the profession clearly got this message loud and clear. Oh, my gosh, we're not even keeping up with inflation. But I would argue that uh, there was sort of a pendulum swung rapidly and perhaps, you know, too far and too yeah. fast the other direction. And I agree with you completely. I do believe, you know, let's start at the 50,000 foot level. Uh, I, I, I agree with you that there's an affordability problem. Um, and increasingly so, right? I mean, I, I've read things that uh, that indicate the cost of veterinary care is pretty comfortable for people, let's say, households making a hundred thousand dollars or more a year. Well, you know, median household income is about sixty five thousand, so that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah. And, and, and you know, we're not going to solve this today, but I would argue the problem with that is the model we've created. Let's just round numbers, say thirty thousand veterinary hospitals is a pretty expensive way to deliver veterinary medical care. In other words, if you design the profession from scratch to deliver care cost efficiently, it wouldn't look at all like this, right? I mean, for example, there are 6,000 or five times fewer human hospitals than there are animal hospitals. There's about 6,000 compared to 30,000 animal hospitals. There's more humans than there are pets, right? So we've got all these really highly specialized, highly capable hospitals that are not used, you know, near capacity. And then we've got, uh, you know, and, and that's a highway. That's a, that's an expensive way to deliver veterinary care. And, you know, nobody's going to change that overnight. So uh, so we got to talk about professional fees because it's veterinary medicine from a business standpoint. I would characterize it as, you know, a gigantically large number of relatively small dollar transactions. If you take a clinic and you divide the, and you say, OK, how many how many transactions were in that? clinic last year, and then you divide it by the number of doctors, you know, full-time equivalent doctors, it's going to be 4,000 or 5,000 transactions, you know, per doctor per year. And that, that doesn't mean you lay your hands on 5,000 animals or talk to 5,000 clients, but, you know, some of those are coming in for, for uh, you know, medication repurchases and things like that. But it's, it's a business of a, a, you know, hugely large number of transactions at a relatively low dollar amount. So, small changes to the fee structure have a, have a large uh, impact on the on the business because of the number of transactions. So, you know, that's kind of where we are, where we've been. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing people struggle with the same thing. It's there is an affordability issue. The people at the front desk are hearing it all the time. Clearly, this notion of inflation, uh, I just saw today, you know, the, the most recent numbers are 7%. So everyone is having a larger percentage of their family budget or household budget, you know, uh, necessarily allocated to things like utilities or energy, uh, uh, gas yeah. for their car, you know, food at the grocery yeah. store, right? I mean, um, and, and I mean, 
household income is a zero-sum game, right? So if more gets allocated to these categories, less is available here. And it's uh, I was just looking at some charts today in preparation for this. And, you know, basically business exploded from, you know, about June of 2020 for the next year, you know, through through the, from June 2020. That was kind of the nadir was uh, June of 2020. And then from from there, the next, you know, the next 12 months through June of 21, things just shot through the roof. Uh, and then for the last six quarters since then, there's been a marked you know, and decided decline in, in client visits and number of transactions, you know, that started again in about the summer of uh, 2021. Uh, and that's about the same time, you know, inflation began to pick up hugely about the first quarter of 2021. So I don't think it's a coincidence that as inflation began to rage, uh, tr- you know, transactions, client visits began to decline. And guess what? What happens when you when you increase fees? You should absolutely expect fewer transactions, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, and we could talk more about what's called price elasticity and what we know about that in the veterinary profession. But it's. Uh, you know, it's kind of like you, you, you squeeze the balloon, you know, it's it's not taking up space there anymore, but that air went somewhere else and it's, you know, it's still in the balloon, just change places. Yeah. Do you think that, uh, do you think that rising uh, prices in vet clinics have played a big part in the six quarters that we've seen of, of sort of declining number of transactions? Do you think there's other factors that play besides that? No, I think there's a host of factors that that have little or nothing to do with the fact that we've raised fees, right? I mean, I don't think, uh, I, you know, I don't think you can draw that uh, decline. I mean, in other words, fees have increased continuously, right? This isn't just a matter that happened mm-hmm. in the last uh, six quarters. They've they've increased continuously. I think it was I think it was the inflation uh, that kicked off. I mean, and part of it is the first year of that we were comparing against, you know. So of the six quarters where things have declined, four of those where we were comparing against a, a period before that was really abnormally inflated, right? So we would expect it to be back to normal, but but then the last two we've we've lapped that now. And so the last two quarters we're looking at, you know, results from a period that had already been in decline. So and, it, and it's going further. I mean, I think uh visits are you know, they're off three percent or something like that, three or four yeah. percent. Um so here's here's kind of the way I think it we're off, you know, transactions are down this year three or four percent. Veterinary clinics are reporting revenues up about four percent, you know, so we're that's a seven percent difference, right? So my yeah. my guess is that's that's the fee increase, right? That's seven yeah. percent fee increase. So we're we're down three uh, in visits, but we're up four total. Well, it's, you know, that was the 7% increase in, in professional fees. I'm assuming, by the way, for this uh, purpose of this conversation, that, that we're only talking about professional fees. I mean, I think implicit in this conversation has to be that people have good controls in their clinics such that when the prices of products or inventory items change, that that is immediately reflected, you know, in a, in a, yeah. in a change of uh, their prices. In other words, they've got control over their inventory to to make sure that supplier or manufacturer increase in prices are passed along immediately. Um, and, the, and they will. I mean, I, every pharma company is going to increase the price of every product every year. I mean, that's you can, you can bank on that. So you need to have, you know, that needs to be mechanical in the clinic and automated with the practice management system. What do you, uh, speaking of inventory, so sort of staying on this topic, 
do you see inventory revenue decreasing in practices and, and how does that affect the prices in, in clinics, right? So I guess I've always sort of wrestled with this a little bit. Is it, it's been a perception of mine that that more and more pharmacy business has has left the practice to go, you know, online to Chewy or Amazon or, you know, or, or wherever. Does that increase elasticity for prices for diagnostics or for, you know, for your physical exam? Meaning, um, it's never made sense to me the idea that we would run a practice and, and it's built on this on this product model, which uh, Time Machine, uh, if you're going back, please set that up differently. Uh, but But unless somebody does that, that's what our business has been built on. It was we sell vaccines, we sell products instead of traditionally we we sell our expertise, like an accountant, you know, or um, or a financial advisor or something like that. And so it, it's never made sense to me, I guess, if if you see products leaving the practices, it makes sense to me that that revenue has to come from somewhere. It's going to come from our intellectual property, you know, in, in our services that way. Do you see that? I guess I'm saying as do you, first of all, Valley, do you see inventory transactions leaving practices? And when you do, does that leave the ability to raise prices on the other services that we keep in the practice? Yeah, I think there's several questions in there. I mean, I think the first is, you know, people have predicted the demise of the pharmacy, you know, as long as I've been working in the profession, you know, and, and it just has not happened yet. Um, when I read the financial uh, or the veterinary press, I would be led to believe that, yeah, the the pharmacy is completely being crushed by the by the competition online. Let's say um, the problem is, is when I look at sort of data, when I look at you know the facts, when I look at you know tax returns, when I look at financial statements, what I don't see is a marked decline in the pharmacy. What I don't see is robust growth, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I've more and more I'm seeing clinics choosing to be price competitive in the pharmacy uh, with alternatives the consumer has elsewhere, largely because they don't want to appear to be uh, guilty of what pet meds accused them for so yeah. long of is fleecing the clients like, hey, you know, you can buy it here, you can buy yeah. it there at the same price, you know, so um, and that still leaves a healthy enough margin. And uh, so I would not abandon the pharmacy just yet. I think there's still great opportunities there and uh, uh, to improve compliance, which is one of the things that you might do in, in lieu of uh, price increases, you know, that because that's one of the things, you know, I hope we talk a minute about is what are things you might consider instead of price increases, you know, despite the fact that, yeah. you know, fees do need to keep up. Um, I mean, let's face it. I mean, the bottom line is the biggest expense in a veterinary clinic by far, bar none, is labor. Um, you know, yeah. it's probably consuming 40% of gross income, maybe more. Um, and and I believe, uh, and I think most veterinary practice owners believe that people deserve to at least not fall behind to inflation. I mean, I think it's a moral issue. I mean, when I used to work at the veterinary schools, I told them that, you know, build into your contract, and this is not even negotiable, you know, cost of living increases. So, um you simply don't fall behind and that's not that's not a reward of any kind that's just a hey we stay even with last year uh but you know what if i'm making a hundred thousand dollars a year and and inflation's eight percent uh or if i'm a technician making fifty thousand a year and inflation's eight percent i need to make four thousand more or eight thousand more next year just to make the same amount just to to buy the same uh, number of gallons of gasoline right or go to the grocery store the same yeah. number of times and and so I, yeah. it's almost a morality or fairness issue to me that, uh, so if we say, okay, we've got this 
huge expense that's non-negotiable that every it's critical to your success you know if these people abandon you you got no business left um we got to yeah. do everything in our power to try to to try to to try, try to retain them and one of those is through you know fair and reasonable compensation that a lot you know to, to my mind that at least increase with the level of inflation so and look, I'll also tell you, obviously, there are veterinarians that I've seen, uh, you know, and practice managers that use professional fees as a cop out of quick fix. You know, let's just let's just hit it with that dopamine. And, uh, you know, and, and what you tend to have in those kind of clinics, in other words, without sort of uh, changing anything at all about the client experience, let's say, or adding value in any other areas. And I think, you know, it, if you're charging dramatically more than what you were five or 10 years ago, and you probably are, uh, and you're not delivering a substantially different and better experience, then I think you probably are in harm's way. You know, I think I think hmm. uh, client defections. You know, you should expect. I don't think it's just a uh, a one way street where you can uh, hit the button over here and across the board, and these fees go up and and it produces a lower. That may work for a year, but in year two and three and five, I'm thinking your results are are going to come come back down to earth because you're going to you know nothing more important to a clinic than client retention. I mean, that's, you know, all the data in the world show clients come back more often. They spend more, their pets are getting older, you know, uh, if they defect because they don't feel like they're getting a good value. I need you to square this up for me. So, so here's, but here's what I'm hearing you say, and I want to make sure. So we're talking about cost of living increases and we say, you know, inflation goes up, uh, let's keep the numbers easy and say 5%. So inflation goes up 5% a year for my tech who's making $50,000. She needs to make $2,500 more this year than last year to buy the same amount of gas and put the same groceries on the table. And all that makes sense to me. Are you also saying, it sounds like you're also saying that while my tech expects a 5% raise to keep up with inflation, you don't think the pet owners expect to pay 5% more so that I can pay my tech 5% more just because another year has gone by. Is, is, that, is that what you're saying? I think you're not exactly the first part exactly. The second part, I think okay. whenever any of us leave a place of business, including pet owners leaving the veterinary clinic, I think you, I think you got three things that you could, if I asked you a question, you'd be able to answer them immediately. You know, question number one, did you get your money's worth? Yeah. Or in other words, was it a good value? Question number two, are you ever coming back? Question number yep. three, which would, would you tell your buddies about this place? Um, right. And you just know intuitively. Now, what we know about veterinary fees, uh, are, most people are going to find disagreeable because they're not going to believe it. But it, it, if you think very long from a consumer's perspective about veterinary care, it is it is two things. Uh, it is purchased infrequently, and it's a relatively small dollar amount. So the fact of the matter is people have no idea what they paid last time. Okay. Right. What people okay. know, that? you remember, uh, you might only done it once, but if it was a house and you signed a big mortgage, you probably remember what you paid for that house. Doesn't matter how long ago it was, right? Um, if you buy gasoline, you probably know what the price of gas is because it, not because it's a huge expense, but you buy it all the time, right? Like a loaf of bread or a gallon right. of milk, right? Veterinary care falls right smack in the middle. It's not purchased frequently, nor is it a huge dollar. It's not a life-changing dollar amount. So the fact is, and, and, and we did some just fun exit interviews at clinics a long time ago and just asked people, hey, just out of curiosity, what did you spend last time you were here? Uh, and frankly, people don't want to answer that question because they don't know. And if you force them yeah. to answer, they'll end up guessing about the same amount they spent today. 
And then you go look it up in the practice management system and it's, you know, they'll miss it by 300% too high and too low. You know, they, the fact of the matter is and accepting, accepting, you know, breeders, maybe accepting people that have a chronic yeah. uh, condition with their pet that, you know, are in there all the time. The fact is, but what people do know, so they're not going to, for the most part, not going to notice. Um, I mean, somebody used to say, you know, uh, my fees need to go up 12%, you know, should I do it, uh, all at once, or should I do it 1% a month for the next year? And so and the answer is, well, would you like to upset your staff once, or would you like to upset your staff monthly <laughs> for the next 12 months? You know, it's like clients aren't yeah. going to know. Uh, we're going to, you know, and, and, and you, uh, you know, that hurdle you mentioned is, is a big one of getting the staff comfortable. I mean, I'm, I'm, I tend to be a fan of, and I'm reading more articles about, you know, uh, in the veterinary press about, open book management, you know, let's share with people yeah. that, you know, it costs $6,000 a day to open the door here. And, uh, and this is why, yeah. you know, we need to be vigilant, for example, in charging for the things that we do. I mean, I think that's a big opportunity, Andy. I think, um, you yeah. know, before, before I got high and mighty and, and uh, with professional fees and, and, and making big increases, I mean, I'd want to make, I don't, I'd, Let's double check and make sure our controls are really good and we're charging for the things that's happening today yeah. in the exam room or in the hospital or in the lab. Because um, I think, you know, plugging those holes, I mean, has an immediate and extraordinary impact on the bottom line. And, and that kind of yeah. thing mitigates the need for maybe as large or as frequent a fee increase. Hey guys, I just want to hop in really quick and give a quick plug. The Uncharted Veterinary Conference is coming in April. Guys, I founded the Uncharted Veterinary Conference in 2017. It is a one-of-a-kind conference. It is all about business. It is about internal communications, working effectively inside your practice if you're a leader. That means you can be a medical director. It means you can be an associate vet who really wants to work well with your technicians. It means you can be a head technician, a head CSR. You can be a practice owner, practice manager, multi-site manager multi-site uh, medical director. We work with a lot of those people. This is all about building systems, setting expectations to work effectively with your people. Guys, Uncharted is a peer mentorship conference. That means that we come together and there is a lot of discussion. We create a significant percentage of the uh, schedule, the agenda at the event, which means we're going to talk about the things that you are interested in. Uh, it is, always, as I said, business communication focused, but uh, lots of freedom inside that to make sure that you get to talk about what you want to talk about. We really prioritize people being able to have one-on-one -on -one conversations, to pick people's brains, to get advice from people who have wrestled with the problems that they are currently wrestled with. We make all that stuff happen. If you want to come to a conference where you do not sit and get lectured at, but you work on your own practice, your own challenges, your own growth and development. That's what Uncharted is. Take a chance. Give us, uh, give us a look. Come and check it out. It is in April. I'll put a link in the show notes for registration. Um, ask anybody who's been. It's something special. All right, let's get back into this episode. I think one of the big things for me, you know, coming up practicing as a vet in a bunch of different practices, I, I do think that there's, um, there's always some question and I get it. So there's always some question where you're a technician and uh, you know that the the pet owners you're working with are, are going to have a hard time financially with what you're going on, whether they told you that or whether you made that assumption. But you have that in your mind that that's true. And so you so the, the dog's shaking its head and you take the cotton tip applicator and you swab this dog's ears and roll it on a slide and look at it under the microscope, right? Stain it and look at it under the microscope. 
and then you toss that thing away. And then I think a lot of people struggle with that being a $55 service or whatever you charge for it. They go, well, that was just, there was no real cost to that. I just, I just looked at it under the microscope, you know what I mean? And, and so it's hard, I think, for a lot of people to say, no, I firmly believe that that was $55 and it needs to be $55 when there's very little hard costs associated with that except for the piece of glass that we put this on. And so it's always been important to me to make the staff believe that the prices matter. Like that, like that, that, yes, it is $55 and it needs to be $55. And I don't think you can do that without some level of transparency and, and, and without a reputation with your staff of being honest. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're smart. If they believe that you're an honest person and you can be transparent with them and say, this is why these prices are what they are. And even if you don't understand why this is specifically what it is, I need you to believe that, that it's set for a reason at this place. I have found that if I worked in practices and people said, yes, I believe the prices are what they are for a reason, that was a healthier practice of people charging the prices that had been set than places that I've worked where people were like, you know what, these guys are always just raising the prices and see what they can get away with. And the staff did not buy into that. And as a result, you saw all kinds of little, you know, we only charge for one ear sort of, you know, sort of stuff that you go, I don't think that's what was intended, but, but it happens all the time. But that, that transparency and people believing in the prices, I think that that's really important. Well, I couldn't agree more. I think, uh, you know, and, and whether that's through open book management, whether that's through confidence they gain, you know, maybe by looking at some industry resources, you know, I'd, I'd put a pitch out for the American Animal Hospital Association's veterinary fee reference. You know, I just think that's a, an invaluable resource for every uh, clinic. Comes out every two years, and by far the biggest database. You know, thousands of clinics that are certainly AHA and non-AHA clinics, and uh, you know, and it's broken down by numbers of doctors. It's broken down by region of the country. It's broken down by urban, suburban, rural. You know, so and there's thousands of uh, fees in there. So you know, it's just a reference point, right? I think. Any comparisons uh, that you could get from from similar clinics, you know, I don't think the clinic down the street, if it's not similar, uh, should really matter to you. Right. But if you have a if you have a high end, high tech, well skilled, you know, four doctor clinic, then you ought to be comparing yourself to in a suburban location. You know, you ought to be comparing yourself to other clinics that look like you. And and, uh, you know, I'm not I am absolutely not making an endorsement and I I. I don't know enough about it and haven't talked to enough people that have used it. But there is a program called Profit Solver that that basically is a mechanical process of inputting, you know, the costs of everything, you know, labor, overhead, uh, you know, property uh, and and, and loading everything up. And so you get a real and who's doing these things and how long is it taking? And so it's a very objective and. And, uh, you know, it's it's a technical thing, but it's a it's a way to sort of make all your fees defensible. I've always liked that program. Uh, and, and, and I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any stake in this. I, I don't, I don't work with those guys. You know, I, I don't have any, any connection to them at all, but I've always liked that program. And basically the idea I think that I like about it is you put your expenses into this program. It's basically a big, powerful spreadsheet and you put your expenses in and you set your prices and it says to you, you can't keep the lights on. If you, if you price this and, and then if you want to reduce the cost of that ear cytology, if you say $55 is too much, it needs, I'm going to, I'm going to take it down to 42. It will say, great. 
what are you going to raise to make up for the amount of money that you just reduced? And I, I just like that. I just think a lot of people feel like they're floating in space and just making up numbers. And whenever I found myself in my career setting prices and just making up numbers, I never feel good about it. I always have this insecurity that I'm way undercharging what I'm gonna end up needing for my business to, to, to work, or I'm way overcharging and someone's gonna say, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you charge this when other people charge half this and do just as good a work? Well, I don't, I don't want that. I'm not trying to do that. And so to me, I just, I really like the idea of something that gives you a place to put your foot. And so I'll put a link to the AHA, that fee reference. I, I love that as a resource of, look, just at least get some numbers you can kind of put your foot on. Let, let's, let's go ahead and play, play a game real quick here. Where if I came to you and I said, you know, Fritz, I've got, I've got my practice and it's, let's just say it's a, it's a six doctor practice. And, um, you know, I want to give cost of living increases to match, you know, inflationary pressures and, and I need to get my staff up and I'm feeling pressure to raise my salaries to retain my staff, which is something I hear a lot, uh, about. Um, I, I am looking at this. I'm thinking I need to raise my fees. What advice would you give me before I did that? So you mentioned some alternatives. What would you walk me through before you said, yeah, let's look at those fees? You know, the very first thing, Andy, would be, let's talk carefully about this fee increase, or I'm sorry, about this payroll increase. And and um, okay. and I think what we need to do, we, we need to define whether that's built into all future payroll, or if that's a discretionary, more like bonus type payout. In other words, back to the technician making uh, $50,000 and we had a 5% increase. Um, one option is to write him a check for $2,500. One is to mm -hmm. uh, dole it out, you know, quarterly, or one is to do it at the end of the year. I mean, so, you know, got different strategies there. If it's, if people know that's the plan, there's some, and even though it's a total, you know, the dollar amount's the same as far as the employee's concerned, you know, it does give the business owner a little more flexibility in the sense that it's not permanently built into the cost. And I, I, you just have to think longer term. I always like to use the example, you know, I started work at, uh, you know, Arthur Anderson in 1986 and, and uh, had a secretary and uh, she had begun working there about five years before I had been born. Right. And so think of some of the, you know, had there been years like there are now of 7% or 8% and there were, you know, even higher in the late seventies, mm -hmm. you know, real high inflation, you know, you'd have the secretary making five, $600,000 a year, and that's not palatable for that particular position, right? I mean, so, yeah. So you don't want to permanently sort of, you know, graduate out of, and, and one of the things I'd like to know is where are we now? In other words, I'd like to see what, what's yeah. your total labor as a percentage of your, as your expense. And there are some other things I would tell you that are beyond the scope of our conversation here, but, um, you know, let's look at our staff effectiveness. In other words, let's look at things like, you know, number of, revenue dollars per labor hour, uh, you know, number of transactions per total labor hour that give us a measure of, you know, how efficient are we already compared to sort of the averages or, or the medians and things like that. But uh, so we got to decide, is this is this sort of paid out as a bonus or is it part of the permanent increase in the, in the hourly wage or salary on the one hand? And then and then I think when we start thinking about fees, I mean, you know, I, I agree that one of the things I think we got to point out, Andy, is is uh, 
What we never want to do in my mind is keep a client, a potential client from coming in the first time. We don't want to build up a wall to opening up that door to the lifetime value of a pet. And then even more broadly, which, you know, in my calculations, you know, I just took the AHA fee reference and, and, and the protocol I used was like the AHA uh, partners for healthy pets. And if you price that protocol out using fees that people are now charging i mean the the, the lifetime value of a of a you know a dog probably twenty five thousand dollars right so guess what pets live in yeah. multi-pet households right so let's start talking about the uh lifetime value of that household or, or somebody like me i don't have multi-pets uh but i'll probably have six in my life right so uh you know so suddenly you're, you're talking about tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars which is another reason why you want to be fair on your pharmacy prices you know it'd be silly to lose the lifetime value of a, of a client because you were five dollars too high on flea control that's bad math yeah right uh, yeah so you know uh, i think we have to distinguish between you know the sort of shopped and exposed fees and and look this the first thing i would tell you i should have started this whole podcast by saying this subject is a lot more art than science um you know, and, and, and that's why things like that profit solver tool intuitively appeal yeah. to people like you who are, you know, a scientist or me who's, you know, an accountant that's because uh, it's bringing some objectivity to something that is really uh, very. I'll, I'll give you another one. I mean, there's inherently people believe things that are more expensive or more valuable and worth more. Right. So that that's one yeah. reason you may want to be the most expensive clinic in town. And I've one, one of the odd things about professional fees is we all tend to think, well, it's that low clinic in town that's holding us all back. And that's completely false. It's the highest clinic in your town. It's their reluctance to go higher. And that's why in certain communities you have these what I'd call, you know, pockets of affluence or pockets of poverty. And it, it, it all has to do with the highest clinic in that area and their reluctance or their eagerness to to continuously move higher. Because the fact of the matter is yeah. veterinary veterinary care is never going to grow less expensive, right? And it will always grow more expensive, unfortunately, uh, you know, at least with the model we're using today. Yeah. I, uh, I was having a conversation with a bunch of practice owners and uh, and they were sort of talking about uh, corporations, uh, you know, buying into vet practices and stuff like that. And there were mixed emotions, obviously, about corporate practices, especially among independent business owners. Maybe not maybe not all that mixed, uh, maybe maybe just sort of generally kind of negative. Uh, and and it was funny, but but sort of my comment to them, we were talking about the impacts that corporates have actually had in vet medicine. And I was like, you know, they have by coming in and raising fees over, you know, over the past decades, they have dragged a lot of practices kicking and screaming into financial solvency, you know, like they have, as they have, you know, come in and and been more aggressive and said, these numbers don't work, we're gonna, we're gonna raise these fees, that, that makes a lot of other people feel at least okay about say, well, you know, we've, we have been kind of scraping by and maybe we could charge a little bit more. And I go, you know, there's been a lot of good from corporate medicine in coming in and, and just looking at things with sort of an unemotional eye and and raising prices. And and I think those of us in the trenches, we want to find the balance between keeping things affordable, but also paying ourselves and our staff. And, and so I, I it was just an interesting conversation of let's not pretend that corporations have not been good for medicine in a lot of ways. And, and, but I, I, as you say this about, it's not the poorest practice in town that's holding everyone back. It's the richest. And I go, ah, oh, that really makes sense. I, I really like the way you laid that out. I'd not consider that. Well, it's uh, there's always a, 
you know, a price leader in any community. And as you point out, very often that's going to be a corporate practice today. They're not known for uh, low cost. I guess there's one that Thrive yeah. Affordable has the, uh, you know, $15 a month plan. But it's, uh, uh, for the most part, they've taken the strategy of, you know, high end leader. I mean, they're not, they're not even, even, even Banfield. I mean, you look at their, uh, you know, their wellness plans. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, you know. Or, or you can go to Walmart and look in the clinics where they have, you know, the vet clinics. The uh, <clears throat> I can give you some links to the two companies that are operating there. And, you know, all their fees are on their website and everything. And it's it's not, I mean, it's Walmart pricing, but at the same time, I wouldn't say it's cheap. I mean, it's, you know, they're, yeah. you know, I'd hate to think somebody would look at those fees and cause them to increase their own, but you might. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I just was wanting to circle back. One thing I don't think I answered very well on your if the pharmacy were lost, let's just say tomorrow we wake up and the, there is no pharmacy and veterinary medicine, then the implication of that um, is that everything else that you do becomes a lot more expensive necessarily, right? Because you're right, uh, the product business, you know, has basically subsidized the medicine part of the business. And so if the product business goes away in its entirety, then, uh, you know, the the services necessarily become more expensive. So I would try to push that day as far down the, the road as I could. I would fight until I'm, yeah. you know, dead. But, uh, I, and it's getting more difficult, but I think if you choose to be price competitive, there's still huge opportunity in the pharmacy. Yeah. Oh, I know. I, you know, I, I completely agree with that too. I really like, I really liked your position earlier. I have to sit and process it. When you, if you said to me, and it sounded like you said this earlier, uh, the media coverage of the pharmacy disappearing is definitely much more real than the actual loss of the pharmacy. I go, that kind of tracks, honestly, like we still, uh, I have not seen a reduction in the pharmacy that I send out the door, even though, you know, for, it's been, it's been at least 10 years of people telling me that that was, that was coming. And, and I, you know, you can look at the world and kind of see how, how you squint and sort of see it, but I, I, yeah, I could, I think your point is really valid of that day has not really come in, uh, in, in practice that I've seen. You know, the last, last question I want to sort of ask you, and I want to sort of get you to squint into your crystal ball a little bit. When, and we talked about sort of corp, uh, corporates in, in practice and, and then, you know, I'm looking and seeing a lot of, you know, virtual visits and things like that. I got an email from, uh, from a, a big, uh, pet, a retailer that has free vet consults by text and by video when you sign up for their auto ship. And I don't think it's free like you can use this all the time. I think it's maybe one, you get one free trial, something like that. But but basically it was fairly, you know, $15 for a text consult or 20 bucks for a, a virtual consult. Um, and then it was free with auto ship for X amount of time or things like that. Well, you know, I, I see a lot of value in that to pet owners. I can see pet owners getting on board with it. When you look and see things like that, do you think that that will bring about a radical way in how we price our services or charge for our time? Or do you think that's just going to get kind of rolled in to our current model and things will sort of go on uh, in, in roughly the same sort of, you know, price breakdown, price priority that they have in the past? I would say my crystal ball is, uh, you know, cloudy, probably, Andy. It's, uh, yeah. you know, I've never been great at predicting the future. But I think what you're talking about represents a threat in my mind. I, I'm, I'm, I'm mildly concerned. On the one hand, we've got, 
labor issues, right? I mean, and 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 part of that is, mm-hmm. you know, you can't make a a veterinarian overnight, and and yada yada, and you know, people are retiring faster than they're coming in, and the, and the growth in the industry, and so on oh, yeah. the one hand, uh, we've got, you know, to me, it's kind of like there's this faction pushing towards a looser veterinary client patient relationship definition. Um, I mean, look, look back up a step. I mean, industry, you know multi-billion dollar companies have always considered the veterinary channel to be a stranglehold on, on distribution, right? I mean, veterinarians aren't notoriously outstanding uh, retailers or merchandisers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for example, they're not open on Sunday very often, which tends to be the busy shopping day. You know, they're less likely to do home delivery and these different things that consumers want online ordering. Um, so it's, and if you're a manufacturer or distributor, you know, what you're interested in is getting that product in the consumer's hand, right? The consumer, in this case, is the pet owner, right? So um, if you look at press releases from the major companies, you know, and they're publicly traded for the most part, so they have to be honest uh, and have to sort of tell you what their plans are. I mean, you see continuously this, uh, what I'd call, direct-to-consumer uh, and the way I would I would define direct to consumer is around the veterinarian, right? So if you're a major internet retailer, of course you would have doctors on staff. I'm surprised they would charge anything for a consult. I thought it was free if you signed up for the auto ship. Now I'm not suggesting that that consult is going to take a lot of veterinary services necessarily away from the independent practitioner. But I think it's highly likely they're going to take all the pharmacy because if that virtual doctor who's never seen the pet, doesn't know the client or anything else, is able to establish that relationship, then they can dispense, right? So suddenly you've opened the floodgates by by those companies having their sort of in-house doctors. You open the floodgates. I mean, let, let's face it, you see the same thing with men's health, right? I mean, you see these commercials of, you know... Uh, I, I guess you're able to establish some sort of uh, some sort of client patient relationship virtually and, and, and they dispense some sort of or prescribe some sort of products. Right. So it's the same idea. Mm-hmm. It's just circumventing the vet. And I, and I think the forces that are for that are greater than the forces that are against that right now. So when I say that, I mean, manufacturers are for it. consumers. Come on. What do you want? If you're a consumer, you want home delivery, you want auto ship, you want the free consult. Uh, you may never use it, but you want it. You want, you know, a competitive or low price. You want, you know, all those things that you're getting, right? And uh, to a large extent, a veterinary clinic is a single purpose errand for people, right? I mean, they're going there to pick up one thing. And so it's inefficient. Those are the kind of things. I mean, pet food, of all things people buy on the internet, pet food's like number three or four. I mean, it's uh, because it's bulky and because people never want to worry about running out. I mean, they just uh, have it auto ship. So, um, yeah. That bothers me that, you know, for, you know, I, I, again, I think the death of the pharmacy is, uh, you know, premature here, but, but at the same time, it, the, the, the future looks more grim and difficult than the past. And that causes me to, you know, I, I already think, like I said, we have a, we have an affordability problem in veterinary medicine, but if we lose the pharmacy, then it gets really ugly. Right. I mean, and, and mm-hmm. then I think you're going to see a real push for things like 
the practice acts changing, uh, you know, let's say technician clinics where they're dispensing vaccinations and doing wellness visits. And, and yeah, sure, you know, dispensing uh, flea control and heartworm preventive maybe, and certainly catching a blood sample for a diagnostic test, which is, you know, go look at the Walmart offerings. It's pretty robust. I mean, when they take that sample for the heartworm test and the and the vector-borne disease test, I mean, they're they're trying to sell CBC also, right? Just, you know, an extra 50 yeah. or 60 bucks, something like that. And so, I mean, that that's the low-hanging fruit, right? I mean, those are things that, as we've discussed, have historically subsidized the expensive medicine that we haven't charged enough for. Um, so, yeah. you know, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I mean, I think the future, I mean, at the end of the day, consumers, you know, love their pets and, and tend to love their veterinarians. So nothing's going to change quick. Yeah, I get that. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely interesting to look down the road. That's kind of what I was playing with. Uh, Fritz, overall, what your uh, final thoughts, words of encouragement, anything like that that you would put forward to vets that are looking at their prices? Well, I would say veterinary fee increases are, are uh, inevitable, unfortunately. None of us like it, but it's it's a fact of life. Uh, I find that veterinarians, reg- they, they drag their feet, but once they get around to changing their fees, I've never had someone regret it. One of the great things about fee yeah. increases is they're absolutely revocable. So it's look at it as a no sweat decision. You you can change your mm-hmm. mind. I've never seen anybody do that, but you can always change your mind. You can go back to the way you used to do it. So it's safe. There's a net there. Anything you can make it more defensible through some of the tool, tools we talked about today. So it's well received by the staff um, is very important. And look for these other opportunities. Make sure you're charging for everything that's happening. I mean, make sure... Yeah, you know that that uh, we're trying to get, get get that pet in there for one extra visit. Those kind of things necessitate a much lesser, a much less frequent fee increase. So let's let's make sure we're doing the blocking and tackling too, and uh, because there is a ceiling, and and I think we're hitting it now in terms of affordability, and uh, I think we're getting getting yeah. close to. So I appreciate the opportunity to participate today, Andy. Thank you. Well, yeah, thanks for being here. Where can uh, where can people find you online? Where can they learn more, Fritz? You know, just fritzwood.com. Uh, or just Google Fritzwood and you'll find a telephone number and email address and website and all those kind of things. Also LinkedIn and Facebook, but the best would be email. All right, perfect. Well, uh, I'll go ahead and put links in the show notes. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you got something out of today. And that is our episode. Guys, that's what I got for you. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you liked it. I hope you got something out of it. I hope it made you think. Um, heavy stuff, interesting stuff. Um, man, I, I still... Um, I hear what Fritz is saying. I definitely see where advances in technology will radically change vet medicine. I am optimistic that the future is bright for veterinarians and for veterinary, veterinary staff. I think it's going to be different. I, I do. I think that our model is going to change. Um, anyway, we'll, well, you know, my crystal ball has been wrong many times before. I think this is really fascinating to think about and keep our eyes on uh, just so that we can adapt as the world changes around us because it is going to change around us. But I love this profession. I, 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 I don't want to do anything else. I just I um, I'm super positive about where this all goes. Anyway, guys, take care of yourselves. Be well. I'll talk to you later on.